Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, a collection of sermons from Dr. Lewis during his time as teaching pastor at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We desire to see all who are Christ followers grow in faith and maturity through the use of this podcast. Here's this week's message. To celebrate the faithfulness of God to us as a church. You know, this morning marks a new day. It marks a new beginning for all of us who are part of the family of Fellowship Bible Church. But I want you to know over the years, we have had a number of such new beginnings. I think about the 17 people who gathered in Don Meredith's living room to birth a church back in August of 1977. Don wasn't even sure anybody would show up for the church. But there were this handful of people birthing this new body in the city of Little Rock. And that was a new day and a new beginning for those people. But then meeting at Miss Anthony's school was another new beginning for our body. Going through the hot days of the PA gym, that was a new beginning and a new day for our body. Going through the dark days of Breckenridge Movie Theater, uh, which we thought we would never survive, as people stood in the back waiting for the feature film as I was trying to finish my message at 12 o'clock, and they were coming in for popcorn for Star Wars. Uh, that was a challenging moment in the life of our church. But then we went to the Special Events Center, and then we spent the last couple of years in the what I call the Wellens Warehouse. And uh, now here we are. And we're here for a new day and a new beginning. I want you to go back a little further with me, though. There are probably a few days that go back to the original point of our journey as a church, but there is a photo that gets us close to the starting place. And that's a photo that uh, was of Robert Cup and um, Randy Marshall and I with H.D. McCarty, who is still the pastor of University Baptist Church in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Now, you know, I remember this photo being taken. It was the uh, three of us there with H.D., and we were all about 20 years old, new Christians. All three of us had become new Christians over the last couple of years there at the university. And in this moment... With HD, we were learning about the church, something that most of us knew very little about. Being unchurched all my life, I knew very little about the church. And so when I look at this picture, I'm not sure whether I want to laugh <laughs> or worship. Not really sure. Talk about three unlikely candidates for the ministry, Curly, Moe, and Larry. I'll let you decide who's who here. But we had about as much church sense as some of those convicts that maybe you read about who were recently described in a new book called America's Dumbest Criminals. Uh, it told of one guy who was sentenced to 90 days in jail for disorderly conduct, and this guy spent 88 of those days planning a jailbreak. <laughs> That's right. And on the 89th day, he got out, <laughs> only to be resentenced for another year and a half. Then there was the Nevada robber who let a convenience store clerk make a phone call during the holdup. <laughs> he forgot, you know, that it was the criminal who was supposed to get the one call, and then he was surprised when the police showed up. <laughs> then there was the Rhode Island man who vehemently denied breaking open vending machines, but then paid his $400 of bail in quarters only. You know, I've done dumb things like that. I remember when H.D. finally let me preach in the pulpit, and I got so excited at the end of my first sermon in gratitude 
Before the congregation, I thanked my lucky stars. <laughs> I could just see H.D. melt there on the front row. And he denied after the service that he ever even knew me. You know, if you had looked at these three guys and talked to friends and acquaintances who knew us back in 1970, and that God was planning on using these three unlikely characters to build his church of the next generation, I have no doubt they would have laughed. And those friends would have said, you know, that's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. But what I've learned over the last 25 years is that it is God who laughs. God is the one who loves to laugh as he refashions and reshapes human lives and dreams up all kinds of surprises for people. It says in Psalm 2 verse 4 that the Lord who is enthroned in heaven laughs. And what does he laugh about? He laughs at taking something that is nothing and refashioning it into something that is significant. He laughs at comebacks that he is the genius of and that he himself inspires. He laughs at the surprises that he is going to initiate and unleash on the next generation. And he delights in the holy unexpected. It's our God who laughs. And in 1970, God was probably falling all over himself as he was thinking about these three stooges. One who seven years later, Randy Marshall, would be the first teaching pastor of Fellowship Bible Church. And then in 1985, Robert Cup would take a couple out of this church and birth a new church in Northwest Arkansas called Fellowship Bible Church of Northwest Arkansas, which today packs in in three services some 2,000 people. And I'm sure God is laughing today seeing this unlikely character stand in the pulpit and have the privilege and the honor of preaching to you today. That's why I say I didn't know whether to laugh or worship. Because as funny as a picture appears on the surface, 25 years ago in the lives of ordinary kind of nondescript college students, there in that moment were the roots of the future. The church of tomorrow, which is now today's church. And I want you to know there's some of you who are visiting here from college, you're back home from college, uh, maybe you're a student in the student ministries, uh, maybe you're just a child here in the Learning Center visiting here this morning in big church. But you know, I can't help but imagine that somewhere in this audience, God is already planning a surprise. He's already starting to chuckle and laugh because he's looking into the heart of one person or more here and he's thinking, there is going to be the church of the 21st century, the new church of tomorrow. Well, today in this wonderful new facility with all its freshness, we're experiencing another new beginning. And as exciting as it is and should be for us, I think it requires wisdom on our part to take just a moment this morning and reflect back on our past. And what I'd like to do is celebrate the new here today by a few reflections, five of them, some of you have bulletins and some of you don't because we ran out. But for those of you who do, they're listed on the back. And I want to rehearse those for you because these are lessons that we would be wise to carry with us into our new future that is before us. Here's the first one. Probably most important of all, God has taught us that a changed life is the only true measurement of our success. You know, success is not 
the number of people who attend here. Uh, there are large churches all over America. Success is not the beautiful facilities or the size of the budget. I do know that those in the ministry are tempted to compare and measure themselves by church size, by church budgets, by church buildings. But I want to stand before you this morning and say, this is not success. It never has and it never will be. But true success is in the positive changes that take place in ordinary people in extraordinary ways every day. It's when you leave here and something small but significant changes in your marriage. It's when you leave here and something small but significant takes place in your parenting style or in the way you use your money or in your sexuality or in your morality or in your priorities. When those changes take place, God laughs and the church of Jesus Christ succeeds. You ask, how do people change? Well, you know, we've been looking these past several months at a series on the law of God, the Ten Commandments, and it's been an exciting series that boldly and powerfully proclaims what God would have for us and how He would have for us to live. But as powerful as those standards are, I want you to know standards never changed a life. The law does not change because the law by its very intent is a have to on people. It's something that you're required to do and the law does not change a human heart. Successful change in people have never occurred because you had to do this or you had to do that. Have you ever changed spiritually because of duty? I don't think so. No, the kind of change that we desire here, we have desired here all along, is not the have-to kind of change. It's in the change that occurs when people begin to discover the person of God, who's at the very center of it all. And you, you finally figure out one day in some special, even maybe mysterious way, that God really does care for me, that God really does know me, that God really does love me, and He has compassion on me and he cares for me and he desires to free me from those things that have afflicted me for years. Even the fear of the future are just simply the boredom of life. You discover God in all of that and that he's kind and that he's understanding and that he's patient and he's forgiving and more than anything else, he desperately wants to offer you a future and a hope. You see, when people discover God like that in a personal sense, something very mystical happens. Something erupts in their heart that goes way beyond the have to. Suddenly what people find in their hearts is a want to, a natural want to about life and especially about spiritual things. You know, it was Abraham Lincoln who one day went to visit a slave market. And of course, in his day, he carried this tremendous passion against slavery. And in this slave market, he noticed a young woman on the block who had contempt in her eyes. It was obvious she had been abused and used for years, and she was being offered up for sale again. And so Lincoln bid on her, and the bidding went higher and higher, but he stayed with it until he finally won this young woman's life. And so she came to him, and when she came with a vicious contempt in her eyes, she said, what are you going to do to me? And he said to her, 
I'm going to set you free. And disbelieving, she said, free. Free to say what I want to say? He said, that's right. You're free now to say whatever you want to say. Free to do whatever I want to do? That's right. Free to do whatever you want to do. Are you saying, I'm free to go wherever I want to go? Yes. And for the first time, there was a smile on her face, and this is what she said. She said, then I want to go with you. There is a wonderful moment in a person's life when they move beyond ritual and religion and church attendance and tradition and suddenly find in a very personalized way the God of heaven and earth standing in their presence invisibly asking, wanting them to become free. And when you discover that freedom, the natural response is not to have to do anything. It's just to turn to Him and say, I want to go with you. That is true success here at Fellowship Bible Church. It's the want to that changes lives. And let's never, ever forget that. Secondly, I want you to know that God has taught us over the years that spiritual life is impossible without taking risk. Now, our body happens to have a lot of control freaks in it. Okay, We like to control everything. And I know that because I counsel with a lot of you and I'm one myself. But I want you to know that you can never experience the life God has for you until it moves just a little beyond your control. Because to get at life, you have to risk something. It's the risk of faith. I like what Thomas Aquinas said when he said, if the pressing aim of a ship captain were to preserve his ship, he would keep it in port forever. He'd just keep it in port. But a ship was not made to stay in port. A ship was meant to sail the high seas. And a church was made, birthed by Jesus Christ as He built it Himself to storm the gates of hell, to take risk in His name. Can you imagine what it felt like to be one of the twelve on a hillside standing before the Savior, ignorant, uneducated, and untrained, and He told you that it wasn't going to be comfortable, you couldn't control it, but he was going to ask you to tackle the whole Roman Empire. That's an incredible risk. But you know, it's an equally courageous risk for a man to lead his family. <laughs> it's an equally courageous risk when you determine that you want to give, not because you have to, because God says something will happen to me that will be welcomed by me if I do give. It's a risk to be pure in a licentious age. But all you find is freedom, not fear, when you become so. These are the risks God asked for us. Remember, by faith, it was Abraham who then went and offered up his son Isaac. Remember, it was by faith that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. It was by faith that the people circled the city of Jericho and the walls fell down. But I want you to know it was by faith that fellowship decided to have a team ministry rather than one. It started with three. It couldn't even afford one. But by faith, it started with three pastors. By faith, we employed small groups so that people could meet and have community rather than just Sunday school. By faith, we decided to do more than just preach at people. 
by faith, we decided to equip people. And not only equip them, but let them go so that they could go do what God wanted them to do, and that's the work of the, of the ministry in the community. By faith, we move parents back into the lives of teenagers rather than just babysitting them during those teenage years. By faith, we decided to let the elders lead by the principle of unanimity, meaning that everyone had to decide before the church went forward. Every man had to say yes, and if one said no, we would stop. But for 18 years, God has honored that. <laughs> by faith, we kept our name. <laughs> by faith, we planted churches. By faith, we proclaimed the Word of God without compromise. By faith, we confronted sin rather than look away from it. By faith, we've called men to manhood. By faith, we've worn bumper stickers on our car. By faith, we've reached out to the community. By faith, we've chosen to be contemporary rather than tradition-bound. By faith, we've spoken out on key social issues. And in it all, by faith, we've become spiritually vibrant and alive because God honors faith. He honors you when you go beyond what you can control when you take risk. And we have been and will continue to be a risk-taking church, a church that's meant for the high seas, not for the dry dock. So if you want to be comfortable or in control here, it's the wrong place because the risk steps will continue in the future. Third lesson. God has taught us that authenticity and integrity are to be the heart of everything. You know, you might remember the phrase, get real, get real. It's a wonderful phrase for the church because when you look in Scripture, God reserves some of His harshest words for those who are religious and not real. For instance, in the Old Testament prophets, God declares, I hate your solemn assemblies. <laughs> There's nothing worshipful about solemnity, solemnness, Quiet. He says, I hate that. It makes me sick. Paul writes in Titus 1, 6, he says, you profess to know God, but by your deeds you deny. Jesus' harshest words were for religious people who weren't real. Hypocrites, he called them. Blind guides. Whitewashed tombstones. Fools who by pretense make long prayers. I want you to know that over the years, I believe that most of the spiritual success that we have enjoyed has been born out of the authenticity that pervades this body. From the very beginning, we've tried to be real in front of you. There, there is no super saints up here. You know that. We've never tried to pretend that we didn't struggle in our marriages, that we weren't fighting for our kids and sometimes with them, <laughs> that we didn't struggle with priorities, that there wasn't a flesh nature with, within us that constantly beat the drum to be unfaithful to us or unfaithful to God. We know that, and you know that. There are no super saints here, but there are real people, people who are trying to live out the Christian life, and so much so that occasionally we get some backhanded compliments, and it comes this way. It's when a church member reaches out to someone in the community and invites them to come to fellowship, and they'll make this statement. I get it all the time. They'll say, well, I don't know if I want to go there because fellowship seems, well, too serious are too strong. You know what I think they mean? I think they mean that fellowship is too real. You see, a church, 
A living church disturbs those who are trying to hide something. A living church disturbs those kind of people who haven't made up their mind yet or who are trying to play both sides of the fence. Church like this will disturb people because it moves past just rhetoric and ritual. And it asks hard questions. And not only do we ask hard questions, we're real people and we expect results. And that's why we've grown. And that's why we've prospered. Let me share with you in Hebrews 13, one verse that I hope the Lord will bring to fruition in my own life. You might turn there to Hebrews chapter 13. It speaks of leaders. And since I'm one of the leaders, I've asked God to help me be this kind of person. And I'm sure this would reflect a desire on a number of the pastors and staff and community leaders here. But in Hebrews 13, as the writer is finishing up this letter, he calls on these believers to remember back on those people who led them. And this is what he says. Remember those who led you and who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Now I want you to look at the verse for just a moment because there's two commands in there. You might even circle them. First, it starts with remember. He's commanding them to remember. And at the end of the verse, he says another command, imitate their faith. But now here's what I want you to notice in that passage. The command to imitate the faith of these leaders is not because these leaders spoke the word to them. It's not because they had a position. Do you see it there? What is it that causes these people to want to imitate the faith of their leaders? Well, if you look in the verse, it says, because you sat there and you considered them and you came to the decision that these were real people. And as you watch these real people live out their real lives, as you considered the results of their life, it was that, not their position, not their speaking of the Word of God. It was that that caused you to say, you know, I want to be like that. So imitate their faith. Whatever else we bring with us from the past, let us be sure that we stay real with one another. Then there's a fourth thing that God has taught us, and that is that we are to keep both the faith, and while we're keeping the faith, we need to keep it fun at the same time. You know, there are many people that think those two things are mutually exclusive, that somehow if you get serious about the faith, you have to always be serious. But who says that? Who says that? Anyone who has been at fellowship for very long knows that we have a tremendous desire to make you all biblically articulate. That's why we have training classes. That's why we spend a lot of time in discipleship groups and community. We want this book, this book to be user-friendly, something that you can find your way in and be comforted by and worship God with and so on and so forth. And from this pulpit, we have not avoided hard issues. We've tackled them. Divorce, alcohol, homosexuality, racism, women's issues that now pervade the church and a woman's role in the church. Those, those are tough things. And a lot of times you just got, like to avoid those. You know, you don't want to disturb people. We've chosen instead to face up to the hard issues of life, to talk about them. And we've tried to answer those questions people have raised as faithfully as we know how. But here's what I want you to know in conjunction with that as we tried and are still trying and will try to keep the faith, sound doctrine. While we do that, that doesn't mean that we have to take ourselves too seriously. You see, there's, there's a place here for Dr. Love, right? There is. There's a place for him. 
And there's a place for Babs and Bunny, right, Martha? <laughs> there's a place for Wild River Country and for parties and for celebrating. If you watch Jesus Christ, he loved a good party. Whether it was a wedding or whether it was going with Matthew to meet his unsaved friends. And they partied together and Jesus was in the midst of that. And the Pharisees couldn't handle it because they thought to be serious in the faith was to stay serious. Jesus said, that's not the way it is. There's life to be lived. And the Christian life is not only keeping the faith, it's enjoying it at the same time. How many of you were with us when we had our 15th anniversary party of all places on Sunday morning? Let me just see your hands for a minute. Just see who was here and who was not. Well, a lot of you missed that. On Sunday morning, because we wanted everybody there, in fact, we had some first-time visitors that came that Sunday morning who didn't know what was about to take place. And uh, unfortunately, some of those are still at the bridgeway undergoing <laughs> some, <laughs> some pretty intense therapy because of what they experienced. They thought they were in the church and they ended in the twilight zone. But you know what we had on that day? Fun. Fun. And who were we laughing at? One another. And realizing it didn't have to be all serious. There's joy here. And we can relax and appreciate our differences and kid one another and enjoy the diversity that we have here, the richness of the texture of humanity. That's what we enjoy. We're going to keep it fun and keep the faith together in the future. And then finally, God has taught us, and I think this is the one that means the most to me. He has taught us over the years that He's been more than faithful. He has favored us. Now listen very carefully. Some people have asked me the question, does God favor some Christians over another? Does God favor some? And I believe that He does. I believe if you look at the Scriptures, you see favoring. Now He wants to bless everyone, but there, there are some unique ones that He picks. He picked the nation Israel to be the jewel of the nations. When Jesse paraded his sons, he favored David over the rest. When Jesus was on earth, there were many who followed him, but he picked 12, favored 12 that they might be with him. And even within that circle, he chose three, Peter, James, and John, that they might be the favored ones to experience the garden and the transfiguration and other things like that. Does God favor churches? See, I believe that he does. And I believe that some of the pictures we've shown you and some of the lives, I mean, we have said at times, people that have gone back years and years, and we've kind of scratched our heads and said, you know, it was a mysterious thing here that God would bring us to college and win us to himself and weave our lives together and then scatter us around the world and then bring us all back to Little Rock and put us together as a community with similar desires and interests and then weave us together. And then as we grew to favor us time after time, whether it was land and there was no land, suddenly somebody shows up and gives us this land. Whether it was staff, out of the blue, God provides incredible staff and has over and over again to will rich in staff. And ministries where in a city that is known to be traditional, God has done all kinds of innovative things with people who are traditional and taken us way beyond ourselves but we've been the better for it. And we feel that and we, we think, who orchestrated that? And you can't find a human instrument anywhere. And what you begin to feel is God has favored us. This is holy ground. Now, if that sounds like a prideful statement, 
It's anything but. When I think about that, what I'm overwhelmed with is a sense of humility because I remember Jesus' words, and you remember them too, don't you? To whom much is given, what? Much is required. And you know what? There is a lot God is asking out of us in the future. To whom much is given, much is required. So as we start this new beginning, let's remember that success has changed lives. That spiritual life is impossible without taking risks. That authenticity, integrity, they're to be at the heart of everything. We're to keep the faith and keep it fun. And we're to realize that though it may not last forever, because only God can determine this, He has favored us over the last 18 years. Five lessons to carry with us. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.